Thank you for listening to Indrani's Light Foundation's Caring for the Caregivers podcast. This is episode 28. In this episode, Indrani, Amy, and Jeremy discuss a common scenario that happens for shelter staff members every day. No matter what your primary job description may be, when you work for a domestic violence shelter, you will most likely be asked to wear many more hats during your workday. This can be overwhelming at times, and the caregiver in this scenario asked how she can handle everyone needing something at once while maintaining her sanity. She also said if she doesn't try to help everyone at once, she feels like she's letting them down and not doing her job. Listen to some tools that are suggested here in this podcast to help support this caregiver and all of you who experience this every day. Enjoy the show. Good morning, Amy and Androni. And I'm going to jump right in the scenario here because it's, it's a doozy. Uh, Amy, I think you and I uh, were both at the training where this came up this past year. I'm not going to use any shelter names, but uh, I, I know that we were both there. And the caregiver says, I am struggling to help everyone at work. I am wearing a lot of different hats at the shelter and see a lot of different women each day, especially during lunchtime. And when we open the supply room, I am getting overwhelmed with the number of women demanding my attention and asking me to do different things. One woman is wondering where her lunch is. Five different women are demanding items from the supply center. Someone else is having a bad day and is asking for support. And I am behind on three different things my supervisor has asked me to do already. I usually end up not having enough time to eat or even breathe, and then eventually I lose it on someone, and that doesn't help anyone. But if I don't try and help everyone at once, I feel like I am letting them down and not doing my job. How can I handle everyone needing something at once while maintaining my sanity? And so Androni, we are going to start with you today. Thank you for that, Jeremy. And as you were reading that out, I have to tell you that my heart was breaking for this caregiver because I know that the same thing was happening with her at home with everybody wanting her to fix everything. Where are my gym shoes? And where is my algebra book? And why do I have ham sandwiches today? You gave me ham sandwiches yesterday. And didn't you know that I became vegan last night? And, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And so she managed, she managed to get out of the house. And she's coming to work and probably working for very little money. And this is happening again. So the short answer to this woman with how can I get everything done? The answer is you cannot. Let us not even beat around the bush. Dear caregiver, who is asking, can I do everything for everybody? The answer is you cannot. The other answer is a question. Why do you think you should? Why is it that just because people ask a question, 
you have to have the answer. Not only do you have to have the answer, you have to provide the thing that is being requested. So in my own life, one of the biggest lessons that my uh, then boyfriend, now husband taught me is when someone asks you a question, you don't have to answer it. I didn't understand it then. I was too young. I was in my 20s. But he was in his 20s and he, he knew it. So I had to wait till I was 50 to figure that out. And I think what happened between my 20s and my 50s was I began to feel, I began to feel for myself. And it's not sorry and it's not overwhelmed, I began to feel that I was fully human. And when I started to do this work and started to study the work of Brene Brown, I now realized that I was growing my empathy bucket for myself. And understanding that if there were things that I needed to accomplish, then I had to put some stuff away, put some stuff aside. And in the past, whatever I put aside would be my stuff. But then I had the wonderful experience of having my depression diagnosed and managed with medication and started doing training for a triathlon. And all of a sudden, training had to take priority because the triathlon date was coming. And in that process, I started to realize, gee, I'm not doing A, B, C, D, E, F for people anymore. And they have not dropped dead. How did that happen? When, when did they learn to be self-sufficient? I always thought that it was all on me. So... Dear caregiver, I'm not asking you to jump from, I don't understand why I cannot do everything to saying no. And, and uh, I think our colleague Amy is going to talk about boundaries later on. I would like to go into the attributes of empathy with you, according to Brene. And actually it's Teresa Wiseman's attributes of empathy that Brene uses. One is perspective taking. Two is staying out of judgment. Three is recognizing the emotion. Four is communicating that emotion. And five is mindfulness, which is Kristen Neff's work. Okay, so instead of us taking the binoculars and looking out into the distance to zoom in on that little one bird, we turn the binoculars around and we zoom in on us. And now we take the attributes of empathy and we say, well, what would self-empathy look like? So if we look at perspective taking, perspective is, can you put yourself in someone else's shoes? In this case, I'm asking you to put yourself in your own shoes. When you have all these voices saying, gimme, 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 and you only have one life and probably just 10 minutes before your real day starts, 
What can you reasonably do? What is the perspective that you must take? And here's a doozy, right? Staying out of judgment. Can you? Do you have the courage to then not judge yourself because you cannot provide the vegan meal or you cannot find this person's lunch or you cannot find, you know, you, you open the supply room and you cannot find that right brand of diaper that that child needs because, yes, I see all these other diapers, but I told you I only use those. Can you stay out of judging yourself and, you know, maybe if you have a little non-judgment left, to send it to the other person as well. Can you recognize the emotion? Are you able to recognize frustration from disappointment, from fatigue? Or do we just go from, I was doing great and now I'm pissed off. Do we go from flat to rage? And I say that because I used to do that really well. I know how to go from flat to rage. And I didn't have a whole lot of vocabulary words to help me understand that from flat to rage is a big staircase of emotions. And it starts off with a little bit peeved, slightly frustrated, somewhat disappointed. Rage is way at the top. And now that I have those words for emotion, I don't remember the last time I went to rage because now I have language around it. And communicating the emotion. So do we tell the person who is making us upset? No, actually we tell ourselves. So it would sound like Indrani, you have just had 10 requests from six people in the last two minutes I know you're feeling a little bit frustrated. I want you to hear that you are frustrated. I am frustrated. Good for you. Thank you for telling me. And that is a practice that we have to use over and over and over. So let me just tell you again, it's perspective taking on yourself. It's staying out of self-judgment. It's recognizing the emotion that we have and it's communicating the emotion to ourselves. What I wanted to say before this, which I forgot, so I'll say it now, is this. Before you can start these practices, you actually have to start making a list of the things that are always being asked of you. I think it's probably the same stuff over and over and over. And you can probably put the same group of people doing the same ask. And then you look at that list and you, you realistically give a time, like, well, this will take five minutes and that'll take 10 minutes and this will take 20 minutes. And then you add it up and you say, Oh, if I did all of this before the day started, I need three hours and I have five minutes. Wow, I wonder what I could do in five minutes. And I would ask you, if you only have five minutes, to say to everyone, I will get back to you and go to the bathroom and breathe for five minutes because there's not much you can do other than make yourself crazy in those five minutes. 
The fifth attribute of empathy is mindfulness, and that is Kristen Neff's work. And I really would like for the caregivers listening to go to kristenneff.com and take the self-compassion test. And mindfulness with Kristen Neff, um, self-compassion is self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness is what's happening at this moment. It's not going off to a mountain somewhere and sitting with crossed legs and, you know, finding a state of nirvana. Very few people can do that. I, I, I don't even try anymore because I'm not that kind of nirvana person. So can you make your list? Can you look at those, the amount of realistic time that you would need to get all this stuff done and say to yourself, well, this is a full day's work and I have another job and this stuff is not getting done. And can you give yourself a break? So that's, uh, that's my two cents, guys. At this moment, it's the self-empathy and the practice of self-empathy. And you know what? We can practice self-empathy when somebody cuts us off on the freeway or if we come home with the wrong kind of orange juice or if we you know, pull out the wrong thing of diapers for the person in the shelter. There's every single moment that we choose to make a, or take an action is a moment for self-empathy practice. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I think uh, it really does come down in a lot of ways to exactly what you're saying, but it can be so hard to do in the moment. And so one practice that I still do, but not as much now because I'm getting better at it. But when I was starting this is I couldn't stop myself from judging myself in the moment. I had a lot of trouble with that. So what I started doing was training myself to rejudge myself later because later when everything had calmed down and I had time to go back and reflect on it and then rejudge myself, I was more rational. I was more forgiving. I was gentler with myself and I could see how ridiculous my judgment of myself was in the moment. And so that's, I guess the tip I would have is if you can't not judge yourself in the moment, remember to give yourself time to reflect on that judgment later and realize that it probably wasn't fair and that you're doing a better job of, of being compassionate with yourself after the event happens. And Jeremy, I'd go one step further to actually speak that out loud to yourself. Mm. So not have it be an internal dialogue because when we use the verbal brain and we actually speak words, it creates different neural pathways in our brain. And we know that a habit is an action that we take over and over and over that creates a very solid a neural pathway that's a, 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 a set of myelin sheets that are laid down in the brain. So we are doing physical work, neurological physical work when we use our words and we are compassionate to ourselves. Thank you for that, Indrani. When I uh, think about the uh, empathy work that we do in our curriculum, and we follow Brené Brown's work quite often with this, it's so incredibly helpful uh, to know how we can 
really um, have some empathy for ourselves. And I love the tools that you laid out and writing down the list and uh, also mantras as well. I might add is um, the neurological and how the brain works is so incredibly important too. I wish we had more time in our curriculum to be able to go through the scientific explanation sometimes because it helps me. It helps me understand how my brain works, how my body works when I'm reacting to things. And uh, it also assists me in being more empathic to myself, not just people, but to myself as well. So I so appreciate what you just uh, taught here for our caregivers. And Amy, that just reminded me of something that everyone can go check out on YouTube. It's, it's Dan Siegel's Handy Brain Model. So um, he, 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 he tells people to think of the brain as a hand, and he goes through the whole thing about the brain, and it's, it's fabulous. If parents could learn to use the hand with their teenagers, it makes so much sense. Yeah. I think would like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll, we'll link to that video uh, in the podcast notes because what all of you listening couldn't see was Indrani was holding her hand up to give an example for you, but uh, we're audio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Amy, uh, you are going to talk about some boundaries and some saying no. Thank you, Jeremy. This is a common scenario that continues to come up for our caregivers. They're feeling very overwhelmed at work. They've got clients walking up to them needing something immediately because of their stress. They have coworkers asking them to do them favors right away. And of course they have administrators and or their supervisors requiring tasks done immediately. And then they, of course, have their own needs for that day of needing to get their own work done. So there are times in their work where they're needing to say no. And this particular caregiver, I would imagine, is one of those caregivers who hold the values of wanting to be seen as being responsible, being a team player, is reliable, those kind of values that are so important to them and they hold very dear and they hold very seriously. So if you can imagine this caregiver getting all of these requests at once and this happening day after day after day, how does one who holds these kind of values have the ability to say no without feeling guilty uh, and without some feelings of shame or uh, some other type of feelings that are just stressful. So we decided to use the work of William Urey uh, in our curriculum uh, as part of the tools to be able to say no. And William Urey is well known as an international negotiator. And he authored the book, The Power of a Positive No. And I would highly recommend our listeners, if they are struggling with this area in their life, is to look up William Urey's work. And uh, William's last name is spelled U-R-Y. And he developed a formula for success for this called Yes, No, Yes. And what he instructs us to do is before we can actually say the word no, we really need to say yes as the first step. And this could be a silent yes to yourself 
or it can be a yes out loud to the person at that moment so they understand the value you are holding. And it could really get you grounded and help you enter into some positive energy around the no you are about to say. This is a place where you can honor and protect your value and really let it sink in about why you are saying no. And now you're ready to deliver the word no. And right after you say your no, the good news is now you can actually end your no with the positive, and that is the yes. And that's the last step in this formula. And this is really a place to create an invitation for a positive outcome. You had just told this person what you don't want, so now you can tell them what you do want. Now let's talk about how this yes-no-yes formula can be used in today's scenario. So this caregiver has just been asked to do multiple things at the same time. A supervisor just let them know about a meeting that was happening uh, at the last minute. And they just had a coworker ask them to meet them in their office because something wasn't going right and they needed some advice. And now they just had a client walk up to them that was somewhat upset about something that happened with another client that they might be rooming with. And they seemed like they're in distress. So now you have multiple things going on, very stressed. You don't want to be seen as ignoring anyone or not being a team player and feeling like you're very responsible for everything that's going on in that moment. So now you need to respond to the client who just approached you in a very, in a very distressed manner. So the first thing you do is this is a yes to yourself that you hold the value of having boundaries around making sure that you are meeting everyone's needs and yet keeping your stress level low. So your yes is to those boundaries and those values to yourself. Now your no comes and you say, Hi, Julie, thank you for coming to me for help. I, I'm unable to talk to you right now. I'm, I'm not able to uh, take the time to meet with you right now. And uh, I can say that I can meet with you uh, later today if you'd like. What would be a good time for you? So that's an example of how you can move through a yes, no, yes. And be able to save that relationship and end in a positive manner. The caregiver just expressed to the client that they heard them, they heard their need, and they said no to the client and they were unable to meet with them at that moment, and then be able to save the relationship and be able to end in a positive way in which it was this caregiver's decision that they can meet with them at a later time and help them out. Now you need to understand that we also talk about and so does William Urey, about being prepared for the reaction of the person you're saying no to. So in this case, the client is distressed. So is the caregiver prepared for the response? It could be a response of making you feel guilty, 
because you just said no. The response could be some pushback and a reaction that is not invited. And it could be a good response of maybe uh, off them offering this caregiver some gratitude for at least hearing them out and being able to meet later. Whatever that response is, the caregiver should be prepared for anything and be prepared to stand your ground and make sure that you are really holding your own values and what you are needing to keep your stress low at a minimum and knowing that everything is going to be okay. That even if this client leaves, it maybe might turn around and stomp off and be mad You can save that relationship at a later time when you meet with them as well. But you are holding your boundaries and your values firm and you feel good about the fact that you were able to say no because you can't please everyone at the same time. You're unable to be at three places at once, correct? Now, William Urie gives us a final option. Let's say that this particular client did not have the greatest reaction to the no for this caregiver. William Urey tells us that we can use an option called plan B. Now, this is not a plan that is a compromise or a fallback plan to actually allow that person to have control over you and really just walk all over your boundaries and your your values that you're holding at that moment. This is a plan B that you can hold for yourself and give an option for you, or maybe give an option for them that you are comfortable with, that still are within your boundaries. So for example, if you are unable to meet with that client later on in the day, uh, you just do not have time for them that day, and you want to save the relationship, because you're in a work environment in which, you know, your work is about them. And you need to do some very uh, important work on the other end of the spectrum uh, for your day. So this plan B could be something to the effect of, I am unable to meet with you today. Uh, There's so much going on for me and you are important to me. And let me see what I can do about maybe having one of my colleagues talk to you or maybe some kind of um, appointment we can make later on in the week if it's not so urgent. But either way, you're hearing their call. They're, you're hearing their distress and wanting to acknowledge, and yet you're giving some kind of plan in which you can be able to assist them or they can be assisted in some way that doesn't affect you. So I don't want to make it too complicated here, but I do want to give an opportunity to just talk about the yes, no, yes to these caregivers and all of you who are listening, no matter whether it's work or whether it's in your personal life, that there is a way to have a positive outcome when someone's approaching you either in distress or really bumping up against your values and your boundaries in which they're just overwhelming you and you need to say the word no. And how do you do that by saving that relationship? So thank you for uh, letting me talk about the yes, no, yes. And I really encourage all of the listeners to really uh, research William Urey's work 
and uh, in this area, especially if this is a place where you struggle of saying no, like I do. So thank you, Jeremy. Well, thank you, Amy and Andrani. That was great. Uh, I am going to talk about the importance of taking both of the things that you just shared and applying it, or at least trying to apply it to your whole shelter organization, which is a really important step in making all of this work. And I'm gonna start uh, by talking about uh, the fact that my family uh, just got a new puppy. And so you may hear some, some crying in the background because puppy has woken <laughs> up at the wrong time. Uh, but what we have quickly discovered is with the puppy is we have some training that we're trying to do with the puppy. And my family consists of my wife, Ashley, my son, Finn, and I. And the training only works if we are being, all of us are being consistent with how we're talking to the puppy and how we're training the puppy. And if we're each doing it a different way, then the puppy's getting confused and not picking up the, the things we're trying to teach it as quickly. Uh, and we're having more challenges with it. So we are all trying to really concentrate on, on watching some of the same training videos as a family and then really supporting each other in making sure that we use the same techniques with the puppy each time because having a puppy is all about boundaries. Uh, right now the puppy is nipping and biting. Um, we're trying to teach it to go to the bathroom outside. So many things that are new to its world that it doesn't know what to do. Uh, and we have to set boundaries with that. And I think the way that this applies to the scenario that we're talking about here is it's great if you as an individual caregiver can use empathy with yourself and do all of the things that Indrani talked about, make that list. It's really great if you can get a yes, no, yes, and develop a plan B like Amy discussed. But if the next person on shift or somebody else on that same shift is going to deal with these challenges in a different way, then what you may find is you're gonna start having conflict amongst your clients and the staff members at the shelter, or you know, some of those people might realize you have really good boundaries and stop asking you to do so many things, but they're gonna go over to another person who's working at the shelter because they realize they don't have those boundaries and they will try and do all of those things for them. And we don't necessarily want this work that we're doing with ourselves to just mean that we're putting more pressure on the other people that we work with. We want this to be a team effort. And so some ideas on how to get this started in your organization is to take the idea that Indrani had of the uh, list of everything that you're doing and how long it takes and sharing that with your supervisors or sharing it at a team meeting. Your supervisors may not understand that the fact that the timing of opening the supply room is so close to lunch that that is putting extra demand on everybody at the shelter and it just doesn't work. Uh, you might not even be clear on what other people that you're working with have on their list. And so by generating that list as a team and doing it all together, you can all really get clear on what the demands are you and what those boundaries are that everybody needs to set 
and how you can all approach those boundaries in a similar fashion. And then I think with what Amy was talking about is, uh, and we've, we've actually talked to some shelters about this and they've had some success with it, is once you're all using the same language, so once everybody in the shelter understands the yes, no, yes, and the plan B, when you're having conversations with your supervisors or with other workers, you can use that language. Instead of just saying no to somebody when they ask you to work an extra shift or they ask you to cover the supply room when you're already supposed to be doing three other things, you can say, I'm going to take a pause here to create my yes, no, yes, so that I can talk to you about this. And because they have that same language, they're going to understand what you're doing and, and that you're not just brushing them off or saying no or trying to get out of something. They understand that you're using a technique that you've learned and that you as a whole staff have learned and can use. And that can be really powerful in shifting how everyone in the organization is having those discussions. So I think just to summarize that, that the key here really is to take everything that you've heard and go back and listen to Andrani and Amy talk about these steps. And let's start bringing it to your organization. And it may be by having Indrani's light come into your organization and do a training with everyone. And you could share this podcast with, with your supervisors to say, hey, we could start using these tools as a whole organization. Or you may just want to take this podcast episode and let them listen to it. And maybe you can do it on, on your own at, at a meeting with the team. But let's start bringing the way that we're interacting with our clients and how we're setting boundaries with our clients up to an organizational level so that everybody's doing it the same way. And let's get clear on the lists of what everyone is doing and who has overworked and what strange expectations we have and, and, and those things. And then let's have staff conversations using the yes, no, yes framework. And I'm going to have to set my own boundary now because I have a puppy who just found power cables under my work desk. And so I'm going to wrap up there. <laughs> what do you think, Amy and Johnny? I love how you used real life <laughs> to make this work because this work does not happen in a vacuum. We don't get to say, okay, life, stay. Puppy, stay. Don't cry. Don't. And then we, oh, you know, we show up as these great human beings. We get to show up with all the muck and the dirt and all the flaws and all the crazy and still have the courage to use the tools. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Andrani. This is real life, isn't it? And each, uh, I mean, the three of us are in real life as well. I don't, I think sometimes when I'm teaching the caregivers, I think based on their comments or feedback to us sometimes is, well, you guys are experts, you know, you know this and, uh, you're good at this, right? I mean, that's what I get. And I, I try not to laugh, but I do uh, try to let them know, hey, we're really in the trenches with you. We do this every single day. We have boundary issues. We have, I have a, a hard time saying no. Sometimes and, I think we, we have it worse because we know what we're not doing. Right, right. <laughs> Talk it's about guilt and shame I if I can't do this. Ignorant, when I was ignorant of all the stuff I could do to take <laughs> care of myself, 
you know, of course it's not my fault. Now that I'm not ignorant about all the stuff I can do, like, who, who am I going to blame? It's so much easier to blame somebody. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I wish I could do that more often, but yeah, I, I, I feel guilty about it then. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, uh, yeah. while Jeremy's, I, I wish people could actually be on video with us on these podcasts because his little puppy is like cuter than a bug in a rug. Uh, and, uh, but I know he's struggling with this and little kid right now. Completely off the screen half the time trying to scream. Right. <laughs> this is really comical today. It is. It's really sweet. But I will say what I took out of uh, today in, in particular was the self-empathy. It's really doing the tasks of that piece of writing down a list for yourself and really having self-compassion. Uh, and as well as, and what I want to talk about, uh, finalize the yes, no, yes piece is when you get to the no and you're starting to waffle a little bit or really just having some self-doubt of saying the word no, go back to the, your yes, your first yes of what is that value that you're holding? And, uh, and please, please stay with your values. That's what I would offer. Uh, that's the most important that we can protect right now. And then, of course, what Jeremy talked about is using these tools and really bringing them into the shelter organizations and uh, using this work every day with each other so you have common language and you have a common way uh, to not suffer from this compassion fatigue and burnout that's happening and the resentment. Uh, we want you in a life of joy and a life of thriving in this work that you, you know, people love to do. And uh, how do we help you get there? And this is the way that we know how to do that right now is uh, be your cheerleaders, your coaches, and the people in the trenches with you. Okay. Well, I am on full-on puppy attack. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone uh, for joining us for this podcast, even with a bit of the chaos. Uh, we talked about empathy and turning that empathy around on yourself and, and self-compassion. Uh, a really practical tool of creating a list of all of the things that you're doing and the time it takes so that you can be really honest about and show other people, there's no way I can do all of this. Uh, right now I cannot do a puppy and this podcast. Uh, Amy talked about the boundary work and the yes, no, yes, uh, and how to use that uh, by really focusing on what's important to you and what those values are and protecting them. And then we talked uh, briefly about bringing that to an organizational level, sharing at a staff meeting what all of those things are on your list and how long they take and why you're not getting things done. Using the yes, no, yes in conversations with your team members and your, and your uh, supervisors. And, uh, you know, sharing that self-empathy and the struggles that you're having with your staff and dealing with the challenges the same way as a team. And... You can do all of these things. I hope that you feel that helps with this scenario. Uh, and it will help with all sorts of other scenarios because a lot of this work is, is similar and, and tied together. Uh, so that is all the time we have today. Thank you, Andrani and Amy. Thank you, Jeremy. And Jeremy, what was the name of the puppy? Uh, we named the puppy Figment. Okay, Figment. <laughs> Fig for short. Fig. Good luck to you and Fig. I, 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 I hope Fig gets to understand 
his father. <laughs> his father just has to time his naps better so he doesn't wake up the moment I'm supposed to talk on the podcast. <laughs> okay, uh, guys. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Caring for the Caregivers podcast. You can visit indranislight.org forward slash support and anonymously share your own questions or challenging situations to be answered on the show. You can also sign up for our free caregiver package resources at indranislight.org forward slash care package. If you have any questions, you can email our team at info at indranislight.org. We hope this podcast has been a source of support and comfort to the amazing work you do in the world. And remember, we see you.